Hello and welcome to One for All. We are recording. We are recording. Did you forget? <laughs> I might have forgotten. We are a rewatch and review podcast for the anime My Hero Academia. As always, I am your host, Anna, and I am joined once more by our other host, Nancy. Now, we may have tripped all over ourselves during the, the start of the opening. We! We. <laughs> <laughs> Nancy decided that she didn't want to do the openings uh, anymore after season two. So I took it over again and we rewrote the copy, Mm -hmm. basically. But we have a section for introductions in the opening. And so I was reading off of it and I slammed right into introductions. And my brain was like, do I say introductions or do I do introductions? You do introductions. And I completely failed. That's okay. We're leaving this in. No one needs to be perfect. I say we're leaving this in, but I think this is Nancy's episode to edit. So That's true. I guess, Who knows what I'm going to do? I guess she'll decide yep. if she leaves <laughs> this in. Today we're going to be talking about Season 3, Episode 4, My Hero. Yeah, that's right. It's another COVID week in 2020. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> COVID's still here. Christmas is on the way. The election is less than 20 days away i think 18 or something like yeah, that i think it's 18 yeah i've already voted i actually i took the last week off in hopes of having a nice relaxing vacation with plenty of time to write and prepare for national novel writing month but we still have cat drama going on cat so drama. it wasn't very relaxing at all i believe the last time we updated you 11 had just had surgery and was home recovering and now he has had his cone taken off and he's ready to be his rambunctious, lovable self. But our other cat, Coraline, got way too used to being an only child. And every time she sees him, she wants to attack his face. Yeah, it's really bad. We went from like overjoyed that the pills were done and the mm-hmm. cone was over to, oh my God, the cats are trying to kill each other. And they also got Nancy in the leg. Yeah, Eleven did kind of attack me. But you know, I made a mistake. I was trying to keep them from getting into a fight. I thought he was distracted, and he was definitely not. (laughs) We have uh, subdivided our house. Yeah, we now live in a duplex. We now live in a duplex. A thousand square foot duplex. (laughs) It's the most ridiculous thing. Like, one cat has to stay upstairs, and Mm -hmm. one cat has to stay downstairs while we um, try to get them Mm reacclimated. The vet gave us some medicine to help calm them down, and they're not having any of it. No. Um, So it continues to be a rip-roaring adventure here. I would love for the cats, like, they don't have to be friends. Let's be honest. They don't have to be friends, but just not attack each other. If the cats decide they want nothing to to do with each other, that's great. That's great. <laughs> yeah, that would have been ideal. But yeah. unfortunately, it seems that the the fractures throughout the country will be relevant here at home. Yes. As well. With the cats. <laughs> With the cats. So we're not going to talk about that anymore because it's been wicked stressful yes. all week. I don't know if you've ever tried to hold a cat down while you uh, give them two milliliters of medicine they won't, don't want to take straight to the mouth. And they just don't want it. It's, yeah. You find out just how strong your, you know, 15-pound cat is. Yep. You definitely do. We have big cats. Big uns. Big uns. 15 pounds and 17 pounds. Yep. And the one of them is a, a little round. The 15-pound one is a little round. <laughs> She's a little smaller than yeah. the other cat. The other cat's just long. Yeah. I am half convinced that Eleven has, like, is part Bengal or something like that because of the little spots he had on his belly before they were sh- shaved off. But, yeah. He... 
Big cat. <laughs> Big cat. But we're going to talk about the episode. What do you remember about it? Well, as I mentioned last week, we're entering a point in the season where the episodes kind of run in together. So I remember like what happens to Deku in this arc. And I remember what happens to, say, Tokoyami in this arc. But I don't know if it happens this episode. So it will be interesting. We've hit the rising action. Yeah. Like, basically, the villains have arrived and they're going to give the kids a run for their money. Yep. It ain't going to be good. Nope. That's the basic sum up of this episode. Where exactly it ends? Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) But we're going to go watch it and we'll tell you all the details so you can remember exactly what is happening in this episode and we'll tell you if it was good or not because that's what we do we'll talk to you soon and we're back we actually kicked it off with a big coda recap yes um sort of a recap on his parents who passed away very sad and how he was told of them dying for, you know, the greater good was a good thing and how he has always despised that. Yep, he's never really been a big fan of being told, ah, your parents were great, too bad they're dead, but, you know, it was worth it. Yeah, it's okay, you know, they died in a good way and you're an orphan for a good reason. That's a horrible thing to tell a child, by the way. <laughs> you want to go live with your aunt? It'll be totally cool. She dresses up like a cat lady. Yeah. With a bunch of other cat ladies. Yeah. I mean, for all that, you know, Coda can seem a little bratty, I feel like the way that he acts is totally understandable. He does. For a child. I agree. He's also very responsible. Yeah. For like a young person who has been through a traumatic experience. Yeah. We get a refresher that he is alone on the mountaintop when the villains attack, but there's someone there. There is someone there, but we won't find out who immediately because the fail kids are going in for additional lessons. They're grumbling about it. Yeah, we have our our rejects going in with a racer head. They're all bound up in his bandages and they are going to a classroom where they find none other than Manoma and his teacher... Vlad. 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 And Manoma, you know, he sees them and as always, he freaks out being like, oh, why are you here? (laughs) I guess he was the only one who failed. From Class B. Which speaks very highly of Class B. It does. And doesn't speak very highly of Manoma. (laughs) It also doesn't speak very highly of the kids who failed in Class A. No, not at all. (laughs) Because there's a bunch of people in Class B that just aren't that great. No, I feel like there's a scene later on this episode where you have, who is it, Todoroki carrying an injured kid? And I'm like, who the fuck is that even? (laughs) Who are you, Class B, no name? Yeah, but anyways, we'll we'll get to that later. Um, As they're sitting down to learn their things... The racer head is like, I think we should put some extra practice in Vlad. And Vlad's like, you don't have to tell me. Basically, I like, I'm a teacher too. Mm-hmm. Like, you think you're so great because you teach the good class. Mm-hmm. But I only one of my kids is in here. You can tell that like that's the attitude of the way that he's drawn yep. in this scene, even if he doesn't say it. But they don't have time to bicker about it because they receive a telepathy warning. From Mandalay. From Mandalay. Uh, apparently she can communicate tele- telepathically, but it's a one-way communication, which is important. She can give people warnings, but they can't talk back to her. Tele- telepopola? Like... <laughs> Telepathy, yeah. When, Speak I, in their minds. <laughs> I, I heard you say telepathy. Uh, oh, yeah, I may have said that. <laughs> and I was like, what the f- is Telepathically. <laughs> and initially everyone's like, the novelty of this. Yeah. 
But it turns out that they're warning everyone that the camp is under attack. And if you are attacked, don't engage. Like, retreat back to the camp. Yeah. And the teachers. And Eraserhead hears this and he tells the students basically to stay inside and stay safe. And that he's going to go help because he's a pro hero. He's a pro hero and he can erase people's quirks. Yeah, and that's incredibly useful when dealing with villains. So he rushes outside and he is immediately blindsided by Dobby, who just throws fire at him. Just buffets him with blue fire. He says something like, has your concern over overridden your, uh, like, precaution? Mm -hmm. Your caution. Because Eraserhead isn't paying attention. He's so... Worried about his students. Worried about his students and assessing the situation that he doesn't even see Dobby outside. And he immediately gets fried. And we don't know what happens with that because we don't go back to that for the rest of the episode. Yeah. And I must admit, Dobby was pretty lucky that Eraserhead was so overcome with concern for his students. Because, I mean, his ability... He's there alone. Yeah. Like, his ability is erasing people's quirks. And what we've seen from Dobby so far is he has an amazing, impressive quirk, but we don't know anything beyond that. Yeah. I mean, the whole deal with Eraserhead is if you have to face him one-on-one, you're done. Yeah. Exactly. So then we go back to Deku, who is with the Pussycats. That's right. As Spinner and and Magni, members of the Vanguard Action Squad, Mm -hmm. uh, attack. Spinner is your Ninja Turtles-like character who is a lizard with a big-ass blade that's made of other blades. Blade made of other blades. Not really sure the practicality of this. It's pointed out because of how he's dressed. You could tell he idolizes hero killer Stain. Yeah, he he, says as much. Yeah, he says as much because he dresses like him. He has like the mask and everything going on. It is crazy because they totally know that Tenya was involved with taking Stain down, Mm -hmm. which is top secret information. Yeah, we made a big deal about that actually last season. No one is supposed to know that. The world is supposed to know that I think it was Endeavor, but... He points out Tenya and he's like, you with the glasses, you were there... Taking down Stain, or you ensured Stain got taken down. No one comments on this. Mm-hmm. It just goes right by everybody, yeah. uh, completely. Thank goodness, I guess. But he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you down because I, I idolize Stain. Mm-hmm. He also, when talking to Magni, mentions her, her as big sis. Yes, and she has a very masculine appearance. Form. Yeah. Uh, she's a transgender character within uh, the canon. Yeah, I kind of wish that it had been a little more. Like, they had been a little more straightforward about it. Because I feel like it kind of flew over my head when I first saw this episode. No, it definitely did. I actually didn't catch this mm-hmm. until season four. Yeah, when season four, they are more straightforward about it. We're not going to go into why. But for this, if there's just so much going on in this particular scene, especially at a really hard time taking notes. There's a lot of um, fighting between these two villains and the Pussycats. And yeah, Mandalay and Tiger Mandalay are and Tiger. trying and, to keep them off the students. And in, they're not, they're doing, a, it's a really, having a really rough time of it because these two are pretty tough. Magni's powers allows her to pull people towards her. And I don't know if that ability is hers or if it is Something's like... Yeah. Like the, the thing, thing she's, carrying? she's carrying? It's it's a lot happens this scene and I am not entirely sure. <laughs> and I've seen it already, so that should say a lot. Yeah, and it's very clear from the get-go and and there's more of this later as this fight goes on mm-hmm. that these members of the, the the like the League of Villain Vanguard Action Squad or whatever it is, mm-hmm. they're very capable. Yes. Like they're not pushovers. 
and so capable to the point that the pussycats tell the students that they need to get out of there like it is too dangerous for them to be there they turn and they talk to tenya the class rep and they say you need to retreat this is not safe and Tenya goes right to it because he knows what happens the last time he didn't run away. But Deku says, no, I can't retreat because I know where Koda is. Yeah. Deku looks at Mandalay and says, I know where he is. Mm-hmm. And then we, we cut away from that with the implication that he's either going to tell them mm-hmm. or like go get them. Yeah. Not, not really sure yet. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. But before then, we actually go to some of the students, the Class B students, actually, who are running through the woods because they were doing that uh, exercise, as we know from the last episode. We have, who is it? Kendo is there. Tetsu Tetsu is and there. And Tetsu Tetsu is there. Kendo, and there's all this gas going around. And Kendo is doing her best to sort of like keep people away from the gas by enveloping them in her large hands. But... She runs into Tetsu Tetsu, as you mentioned, and he has gas masks that Momo has been making en masse, apparently, and handing out to everyone to help them breathe, which, very useful power set. Just wanted to linger on that again. <laughs> very useful. Yeah, she's she really is an all-rounder. Mm-hmm. Like, can do a lot of stuff. Very useful in an emergency situation. And so now they have gas masks, but we know that there are other members of Class B who have been afflicted by the gas and have been they're passed out. Mm-hmm. And Kendo is like, we're gonna get back to the thing. But Tetsu Tetsu is like, listen, this is this is the gap between Class A and us. They keep having things happen to them, and they turn that into opportunity to mm-hmm. grow and, and be better. Like, how can we just abandon our friends out here and go back? Yeah, he kind of sees it as almost their moment to prove themselves that they're not just like the second-rate class. They're not just class. B. They're not just class B. They're class A in their hearts or something like that. I don't know. Which I get what he's saying, but I have to wonder about the practicality of it, especially where the teachers are trying to corral all of the students back to camp if they're not going to do that. This is more students than there are teachers, and there are more villains than there are teachers. Yeah, yeah, it's really bad. But, you know, that's what he decides. He's not going to focus on getting out of danger. He wants to focus on being a hero. Meanwhile, on the lonely mountaintop, Coda is under threat by a villain in a mask. Yeah, he also gets the, I don't know if you just heard our cat there. Catwatch. <laughs> Catwatch. He also gets the message from Mandalay telling him to go back to camp, but he can't because the villain is already upon him. Yeah, he wants his hat. Yes. He wants his cool hat. Yeah. But he takes off his mask and we find out in a series of unbelievable events that the villain on the mountaintop is the same villain. Who killed his parents. Yeah. Um, like, we see the moment where he sort of takes off the mask and reveals his face and he's, like, missing an eye and stuff like that. We get the flashback to the news reports. Yeah, we get the flashback to, you know, um, Coda seeing the news reports for the first time, remembering that this is the villain that killed his parents. This is going to take a, a bit of a leap, a logical leap, but we're going to go with it. Because- what were the fucking chances? Well, it was... It's- it's a very effective episode overall, emotionally. But you do have to take a leap of faith in this moment. <laughs> yeah, I, I wrote UNBELIEVABLE in all caps in my notebook for this moment. Uh, Nancy is right, though. This series of events is incredibly emotionally affecting mm-hmm. for the rest of the episode. It's well done. But the likelihood that this event would happen is so minuscule yeah, yeah, yeah. that <laughs> it, it pushes plausibility, even in a show about superheroes like beyond the the level of credibility yeah but that's where we are 
So, you know, we hear he is this big villain in a cloak and we're able to see, uh, as we see his arm, that he has a muscles that form on the outside of his arm. Muscular. Muscular is his name. And by the way, there's a fan theory around this guy too. What? Yeah. Um, okay. So look at muscular. He's muscular. He's blonde. He's cocky. And he loves to fight, as we see in this scene. And he's drawn in a certain way. A lot of people think that he might be related to Bakugo. <laughs> Bakugo's crazy uncle? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, I personally don't feel that's the way just because of how quirks work. Because nothing about his quirk is anything like Bakugo's quirk. Yep. But it is true that he resembles Bakugo in a lot of different ways. Like physically, um, in his personality. Because as we see about seeing a moment, it's Deku who's going to have to face down him. That it's more of like an emotional thing or I don't know. <clears throat> I, I think it's a, it's an interesting theory. There probably isn't a whole lot to it. I think if anything, he was drawn a specific way to show you like what that could look like. Yeah. Right? Like it's a vision of the future because a couple things happen here mm-hmm. which, which can tie into this, right? So he, poor Koda is going to get smashed. Yes. And Deku saves him. Yes, because that's what Deku does. <laughs> muscular shoots Deku saves Mm -hmm. but Deku gets a whole bunch of road rash Mm -hmm. doing it and muscular is like oh you're you're Deku you're uh you're on the list you're on the list yeah they told me to kill you if we we found you also do you know where that boy Bakugo is Mm because I still gotta do my job yes we don't know why they're looking for Bakugo at the moment Deku's little protective instincts to his childhood friend kick in in this moment yeah he's really concerned yeah. but he's got other problems right now because he realizes that this guy is very fast they're mm-hmm. alone and with coda he'll be heavier like he probably can't get away he can't just retreat yeah and his phone gets wrecked yeah his phone is absolutely smashed so we can't even call for help he can't call for help he can't retreat so he's like i have to fight this guy off or at least push him back enough so that I can run away. And this guy looks like he means business. Oh yeah, he looks really serious. But before we get any further into that moment, we get a quick glimpse of Bakugo, ironically, and Todoroki. Yep. Who are doing their best to uh, take a poor, nameless, class B student to safety who has passed out. And as, you know, they're going along the way in Todoroki, because, you know, he makes plans. So he's trying to plan ahead and figure out what they are going to do, and Bakugo's just getting pissed off that Todoroki is trying to tell him what to do. This is not the time for this Bakugo. Yeah, Todoroki's like, we need to get back mm-hmm. to the thing. Like, I know that you want to fight, but this isn't the time. Yeah. Todoroki realizes the problem that we were talking about earlier. Unknown amount of villains, not enough teachers, too many students lost in the woods. Yeah. Need to get everybody in one place. Mm-hmm. Uh, because... I mean, if worse came to worse and the kids had to fight, having something like 60 powered kids mm-hmm. in one place, they're, they're no slouches no. either. And they could at least support the teachers if given permission, if needed. But they can't do that when they're out in the middle of the woods. And they're all scattered. And Todoroki and Bakugo do not have masks. Yep. Yeah. And the gas is everywhere. So Bakugo is, of course, pissed about this because he wants to fight he wants to go beat some some people up because he's down to clown uh but this conversation that they're having gets interrupted because there is a straitjacket man over a bloody hand a dismembered hand and there are a few terrifying things about this moment 
One being the fact that it looks like he's been nom nom nomming on one of the students. And for another thing, they thought that this is where Tokoyami and Shoji were. Yep. And this guy is way creepy. Like he is talking about getting distracted by this succulent Mm -hmm. piece of meat. And there's just a bloody hand on the ground. And you're like. He has all these teeth. Yeah. It's he's the so creepy. He's a really he's the definitely the creepiest of them all. Yeah, probably the the creepiest character we've seen on the show thus far. But we don't get to see what happens with them at all because we're back to Spinner and Magni uh, against Mandalay and Tiger. Yeah, the pussycats. And we get a bit of a breakdown of Magni's crimes. Like, Tiger recognizes her. She's made quite a name for herself. She's got a rap sheet. She has a rap sheet. Yeah, they're fighting it out. The one piece of levity in this scene is Mandalay talking to Spinner about how it's too bad he's a criminal because he's kind of her type. <laughs> and I don't know if that's sarcasm or if she's into lizard people. I'm just a cat. You're a lizard. It could work. It could totally work. <laughs> one bedroom apartment downtown. Who knows? I like your sword. But I think that's... And we get a bunch more fighting... But I think that's all the information that is revealed. It's more just to sort of heighten the tension. Or I miss something? Ragdoll is missing. Oh, okay. That's true. So this comes up in this conversation where like we haven't heard from Ragdoll. We know Pixie Bob is down. Mm-hmm. We're fighting. But Ragdoll was in the woods. Mm-hmm. And she can connect people. Yeah. And she hasn't. Yeah, in fact, I think Todoroki was talked about trying to find her. Yep. Uh, Magni says, I wonder why... You can't get a hold of her. Mm. Hmm. There's actually a picture of where she's supposed to be in the woods, and it's like covered in blood. Yeah, it doesn't look too good. Does not look good for our girl Ragdoll. Meanwhile, we get to see... (laughs) Meanwhile, on the Lonely Mountain, we get to see Muscular's crazy eye, his artificial eye, for the first time in completeness with its almost like teeth-like structure around the outside. Very creepy. It's gross. It's kind of it's kind of really gross. Yeah, I think it's revealed around here that the eye was damaged during the fight with Water Hose. Yep, I think they probably burned his eye out. Probably, (laughs) (laughs) which isn't great. Deku is decided that he's going to defend Koda and he's going to fight, but it is not going well. He gets punched into a wall. His arm gets completely crushed. He's kicked into a wall a second later. Mm -hmm. Like he is getting bloodied yeah he and you could tell he probably realized at this moment that he needs to take things up a notch so he uses smash yeah he uh he punches with his good arm Mm -hmm. and it does literally nothing yes and it's which is absolutely ridiculous because this isn't just regular smash this is smash at 100 percent. yep and he breaks his arm and he breaks his arm as as we've seen him you know hasn't done this for a while but as happens when he uses smash at 100 percent, and muscular is able to take a hit like an all might level hit and that gives you an idea about how strong this guy is yeah he explains that his power allows him to endlessly build more muscle which also serves as an impact barrier Mm -hmm. so if he can see that you're going to hit him he just reinforces his muscles in the area and he doesn't take much damage which is exactly how he took this hit Mm -hmm. and he's like basically your enhancement power is just a shittier version of mine and he does proceed to continue to beat deku down uh, thankfully, Coda to the rescue throws a rock. Yes, good job, Coda. 
Yep, throws a rock, uh, distracts our good, good, good muscle muscle man or bad muscle man, I guess. And this gives Deku the opportunity that he's looking for, right? He's like, if I just need to get in close, so this guy can't move and mm-hmm. he can't defend himself, so he leaps into action and he manages to use his broken arm to smash his fist into the musculature, mm-hmm. so he can't get away and the villain can't get away. And then and stuck. he is going to like full on blast a hundred percent of a smash into this guy's face. He did. He hadn't broken his arm yet. I was wrong. Mm-hmm. He breaks his arm right now. Right now, because once again, it doesn't work. Yeah, the initial hit was a full cowling hit, mm-hmm. and that wasn't enough. So he one hundred percent smashes him in the face. But he, Deku, this is a problem we see a lot. He mm-hmm. telegraphs too much. Yeah, people can predict what he's going to do, and so. He does smash this guy into a wall, Mm -hmm. and he goes to get Koda, who almost goes off the cliff. Yeah, it's actually, like, a kind of a a crazy moment, because Koda, like, is going to fly off the cliff, and Deku catches him with his teeth, because he uses one arm that's not broken to brace himself against the cliff, and the other arm has been broken because he used the 100% smash. Yeah, one arm is broken from impact, Mm -hmm. and one arm is broken from one for all. Yeah, and there's, like, a second where you think that this worked, because it always works, He's like, we, we have to get down the mountain, mm-hmm. like right now. Yeah. we got to go get to help. You could tell it never even occurred to Deku that maybe the guy wasn't out. Nope. And it is really, it's really bad because while he was doing this smash, he makes some comment about how a hero's job is to turn lip service into reality by, mm-hmm. by doing like what needs to be done. And it's not enough. This guy gets right back up, but he's pumped now. He's excited. Mm-hmm. Deku hit him hard. And yeah. Like... This dude has a hard-on for violence. Apparently. Again, that's probably why people think Bakugo relation. And he's like, this is great. I'm going to kill you and splatter your blood everywhere, and then I'm going to kill that kid, and then I'm going to go do my job. And Deku has this moment of, like, literal panic. Mm -hmm. Like, he goes through every possibility he can think of in his head. Like, should we run right now? Should Mm -hmm. we do this? And everything he thinks of is no. Can't. Can't. Nowhere to go. Yeah. Like, can't get away. Have to fight, but injured. So he goes to a place where he's like, listen, Coda, when I hit this guy again, yeah. I need you to run back to camp. And Coda's like, what do you mean when you hit him again? <laughs> like, your arm's broken. <laughs> your arm's broken. And it didn't work last time. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you going to do this thing? And he's like, I'm not going to let him pass me, but you need to go. Like, I, I can't defend you and, mm-hmm. like, stay here and fight. You need to run. I'll make sure he doesn't get you. And... Muscular full-on charges him. He's mm-hmm. like, hell yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. He screams something about show me your blood yeah. uh, and hits him. They do a like a combined like punch each other. And this is not how broken bones work. No. I just want to linger on that for a second. This is not how broken bones work. But anyways, but it's very impressive. You know, Deku, once again, he goes in he, for this 100% smash with a broken limb, no less. But once again, it's not enough. It's not enough. And why would it be? His arm's broken. Yeah. (laughs) Um, He can't fucking do anything. And in fact, the impact pushing against each other is further destroying his arm. Mm -hmm. Like it's tearing his skin open. He's bleeding everywhere. It's it's really gruesome. In fact, he's slowly getting pushed into the ground. Yeah. And Koda isn't running. And Deku is like, go. Mm -hmm. Like you need to go. Like right the fuck now. Get gone. And it's a very like dramatic moment like because you get all this inner monologue for Deku where he thinks about like you know All Might saying 
you know, a hero can always break out of a tough situation. He thinks about, his like, mom. his mother. He thinks about All Might. He apologizes to them. And this is, like, very much a Deku is going to die moment. In his head, he's dead. Yeah, pretty like, much. There's no way to get out of this. He did what he was supposed to do, but it wasn't enough. And he's let everybody down mm-hmm. who was counting on him. It's it's a really emotional moment. Every time I watch it, I start crying. It's funny because this is like around the time that I started watching the episodes as they were airing. Because before, like for season one and season two, by the time I jumped on board, those episodes had already aired on television. And I was just sort of watching it on Crunchyroll. But... With season three, I jumped in around now. And so I was watching them as they came out every week. And I remember when this episode came out, going on Twitter, and there being all of these sort of photographs of all of these men with tears in their eyes because they were so moved by this moment in this episode. So if this episode made you cry, don't worry. It made a lot of people cry. It's it's not just ladies who cry at this episode. No. There are it's everyone. S- there are several episodes in this season that will make you cry. Yeah, prepare yourself. Uh, bring your Kleenex. Um, and in fact, it seems like Deku does mm-hmm. die. Yeah, almost. Like, the power goes out. Mm-hmm. Like, the light in his eyes kind of dims. And you think, that's it. Series over. Series over. We need another a chosen one for All Might. But Coda saves the day. Yes, like this, but this time he doesn't throw a rock. He splashes water. He uses his water powers, mm-hmm. which is not effective, but no. it does distract the guy who's pumped. He's like, don't worry, kid. I'll get you in a minute. Just let me finish killing this kid. Mm-hmm. It'll be great. It'll be fun. But Deku is so inspired by yeah. this moment that he manages to draw deep within himself and deep within to the well of power that is one, one for, for all. all. And he withdraws more than a hundred percent like he says it's like a thousand percent or something it's a a million percent yeah i don't think it is i don't think in this moment that he is literally a million percent more stronger than all might or anything like that i think it's more meant to be like a sign that he is drawing in like the purest form of this power yeah the way that it's presented with the different colors kind Mm -hmm. of like flying out of the abyss in into him or into his smash Mm -hmm. always feels like one for All is supposed to be a power that is the crystallization of, of, of power, right? Mm-hmm. You take it and then it retains it as it's passed on. So every user leaves their power in the pool and mm-hmm. then it moves on. And this feels like the predecessors lending De- Deku their power mm-hmm. very directly. Yeah. And he smashes the ever-loving hell out of muscular with his broken ass arm. There's even like blood on the camera or something like that, which is funny because it's an animated show. But yeah, this is definitely a, a, a hit. He hits this guy so hard that it shatters the muscles that mm-hmm. this guy has made. They just evaporate under yeah. the pressure and he gets socked in the face and sent directly into the mountain and mm-hmm. he is down. Yeah. And, like, in this moment, we have Coda sort of remembering a conversation he had with Mandalay about, like, one day you're going to find someone that's willing to risk it all for you, basically, even though they don't know you. It touches back on Coda's parents and how people survived because his parents were there mm-hmm. and died. And then someday, someone would do that yeah. for him. And we get this moment, like, beautiful moment where Coda calls Deku his hero. And we get a very dramatic shot 
for the episode to end on. Yeah, it, it's a really moving scene because Coda is stammering through a bunch of emotion, big, heavy emotional things. And he's like, why did you do so much? You didn't know anything. You didn't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. But you put it all on the line. Like, you almost died mm-hmm. uh, for me. Deku very well could have died. Oh, definitely. This episode. This is easily, like, the biggest threat that he has ever come up against. Yeah, by himself. Yeah. I mean, I would even argue that this guy's tougher than Stain was. Because it's just because of, like, the raw power that he has access to. I don't think Tenya Todoroki and Deku could have taken this guy on. No. Even the three of them together. Yeah. But that's where it ends. That's where it ends. Did you like this episode? Yeah, this is a really good episode. I think it's one of my favorite of the season. It's not my top favorite. There's a, another emotionally powerful episode that's coming up. But... It's a it's a really good one, um, and it's a great Deku episode. Like we talk a lot, I feel like especially in season two, like really going deep into some of the side characters, like Todoroki and Tenya and stuff like that. But this is an episode that reminds you why Deku is so special and why Deku is so inspiring and why he's such a heroic character. So I think it was really powerful to have that episode here and important to have it so early in the season. You know, it's a situation where we just talked about how One for All is the crystallization of power. This episode is a crystallization of Deku's characterization. Mm -hmm. It is the perfect little shining gem Mm -hmm. to remind you exactly who this person is. Yeah. He's such a great, he's a great character and he's a heroic character and he's not without his flaws. Mm Mm-hmm. But Oh yeah, later on we're going to get into the practicality of they're still surrounded by villains and he has no functioning arms. Yeah, so. <laughs> He's, this is still a problem that he deals with. Yeah. And we're three seasons mm-hmm. into the show. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's real beat up mm-hmm. at the end of this. Oh yeah. He, he has been demolished, but the villain is down. For all we know, he's dead. He got hit mm-hmm. hard. Oh yeah. I feel like if a normal person were hit by this, they would be dead. I agree. I also like this episode for all the reasons that you said. It's a high action episode. It's a very high emotional episode. It is. It sets the tone for the season really early. Mm-hmm. Like, especially this arc. Yeah, this is only episode four, if you think about it. And not only that, but episode one doesn't count. Because <laughs> it wasn't really an episode. It was a clip show. So this is episode three, if you want to look at it that way. And we're already reaching this sort of high emotional level. It's an episode two where we get to see Deku do something that he does really well throughout the series. But I think maybe even more so, much like Naruto, Deku is a character who changes the hearts of other people. Mm-hmm. Like, he's an inspiring character. Koda is such a stick in the mud mm-hmm. about heroes and hero society and powers. But because he watched somebody put it all on the line, he did the actions, not just the words. Yep, as Todoroki said last episode. You know, Koda, his mind has changed mm-hmm. about a lot of these things, or at least is starting to change. And at minimum, he can accept Deku as a good hero. Mm-hmm. And, and even if the rest of society is a piece of shit. And it's great. Any episode that makes me bawl my eyes out <laughs> uh, and have to clean up before we record this is fantastic. Who gets your plus ultra character of the week? Is it is it Deku? Yes, it's Deku. I don't think that should be much of a surprise. It's not I'm, a racer head. Yeah, I'm not saying that other characters weren't responsible or whatever this episode. You know, got to give some love for Tiger. He definitely threw down. But I would have to give this one to Deku. 
I agree. I don't think there's really any other no. choice. In, in an episode that very prominently featured him as a character and almost exclusively him yeah. in a bad situation where he had to go beyond the, the definition of plus ultra, mm-hmm. he deserves it 100%. Or a million percent or whatever it is. A, a million percent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> More powerful than anyone ever. One punch. Oh, God, One Punch Man. One Punch Man. <laughs> now, there's a series that we haven't talked about, but One Punch Man is... The first season of One Punch Man is Very good. phenomenal. So, yeah. That's, that's this it. week. That's this week. If you want to discuss with us on Twitter this episode or any episode, you can totally do that at One For All Cast. You can totally find us there as well. I'm at Incidentally Anna, A-N-A, and Nancy is at... Watch Nancy Tweet. Additionally, if you love the show, we would love for you to leave us a rating or review on your podcatcher of choice. Help the robots let people know that this show is good. I mean, we're three seasons in. Like, we ain't stopping anytime soon. We would love to get more people on the bandwagon. Mm -hmm. Now, don't forget to check out some fiction, some wonderful hero fiction for your downtime in between this episode and next episode. You can check out Red and Black, Black and Blue, and Silver and Gold by our good host Nancy, Nancy Ochoa Missouri, available now on Amazon in all all the formats. All the formats. All the formats. Book, book, ebook, KU. Yes. Well, technically not all the form- formats. I don't have audiobook. You don't have audiobook. Too maybe, expensive. Hashtag maybe someday. Really expensive. <laughs> I guess we'll see. But uh, also Lady of the Watchtower, if you want some uh, like fantasy like fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can definitely go check that out. All of those short stories are excellent. They were published in zines previously. And because those smaller magazines are no longer around, and let's be honest, some very large magazines are also no longer around, Mm -hmm. Nancy has collected those in a single collection for you to enjoy. Now, thank you all for listening. Whether you read Nancy's books or leave us ratings and reviews or anything else, we appreciate you a whole lot. Thank you to Richard DaCosta for our opening and ending credits. And of course, a very special thank you to my co-host, Nancy. We will see you next time as we dive into Season 3, Episode 5. Drive it home, Iron Fist. We'll see you then. See you then.